Well, good morning, friends, Meeting House family. Welcome to this recurring series called God Only Knows, where uh, we intentionally plan to, to pause and to be uber local, to listen in to local leaders uh, across all of our parishes uh, as to what God is saying, that God only knows. Uh, so we wanna listen in locally. And so, like I said, we take time throughout the year to, to listen across uh, all of our parishes to many voices and so I'm excited for our time here together this morning. I think this is like just such a, a, a wonderful value of who and how we are, that God doesn't just like speak through one singular, singular person, that God is active by his spirit uh, speaking to all of us. And so I'm excited for the stories that we'll hear and the things that we'll learn certainly across all of our parishes, but here together this morning. And so for us here in the live stream, um, hopefully you checked out uh, or you were present for our Easter experience last week weekend uh, where we talked about hope, like what, what does hope look like? How does hope manifest itself into action and into actually doing, engaging our whole bodies uh, with the love of Jesus in a world that definitely needs it. And so today is really going to be a continuation of that theme. So this is like uh, from last week, hope the, the third point of the sermon, but kind of like part B. Now, if you're like me, um, Maybe you're coming into like this day, this week, or even this month thinking like, what, what just happened? Like Easter was wonderful, joyful. I got to connect with family or friends, or maybe you had, you know, some time to just be on your own and think and process. And that was great. But maybe for some of us too, it was like, it was a whirlwind. I, met with family and friends and it was like one meal and thing and service and experience after another. And then we kind of get into this post Easter, or at least I do lull of like, uh, where am I right now? And what, what did we just, what just happened the week before? What's going to happen in these weeks to come? And that's perfect for where we are, perfect for the scripture that I hope will be meaningful for us to take in this morning. And so I've affectionately uh, entitled this sermon, So Now What? We Go and We Make. Go and make. Now what? That's what we're called to do. Now, our, our primary text for this morning is going to be Matthew's gospel, uh, the very fir first book of the New Testament near the very end. Jesus has died, has been resurrected, and it is fascinating. He's had like over a dozen uh, appearances. He's been on earth in some way, shape, or form. His, his uh, resurrected body has been alive, reanimated, uh, active, brought back from the dead, uh, and is communicating with people. So over 12, 13 appearances. And he's also been like back on the planet for over 30 days. So this isn't just like a quick hit, Jesus is here and then gone post-resurrection. He, he's staying around. He's active in the, the, the orbit, the communication, the conversation of the disciples and his first followers. And he is appearing, solidifying like the so what. What has happened? And I think it's amazing what he says, what he teaches. Uh, it's not philosophical. It's not uh, theological. It's very, very practical. Go and make. Go and make. And so if you have your Bibles there, I'll invite you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 28, all the way to the very end. And we're going to uh, move through verses 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. So grab your Bibles. I'll remind you just while you're grabbing your Bibles that next week we're starting today as God only knows. So that, um, you know, uh, series where we're listening and learning to each other. 
And the next week we start a new uh, Peacemakers campaign for sure, which is one of those pivotal moments in our calendar year as a church where we're being active in engaging with peace and reconciliation efforts uh, locally and uh, across the globe. So we're excited for that. And our new series, Peace Be With You, will be starting. So make sure that you check that out. And I think this, uh, this talk sets us up so well for that because embedded in the life of Christ's teaching was just that, is like love looks like peace. Love looks like active reconciliation with our enemies that love looks like orienting ourselves to not just peacekeeping, but peacemaking. But that's a whole nother sermon, which we won't get into. We will next week, but just not for right now. All right, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Let's, uh, let's read together. Then the 11 disciples, so his, his first followers minus Judas, who is now passed away, given all of the things. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, back to where they're from, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Next slide there. Therefore, go and make... Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, who, everybody, all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always into the end of the age. Now, a little bit of historical context behind what's happening. Like I said, this is like a multi-orbed um, expression of Jesus' uh, resurrection effort. So Jesus has appeared multiple times. He's convinced his early, earliest followers. There's no record, any historical record of any of the disciples, apostles being like, uh, it didn't happen. They're like, it happened. We're not sure what to think about it. So Jesus calls them away from Jerusalem, which is fascinating. The city of God, the home, the dwelling place where they would have known God to have been. He calls them away and says, go back to Galilee, to the mountain. Uh, we're not really sure where that is, but it's a mountain, a hillside, uh, an appearance place of Jesus. He calls them back to Gal- Galilee, to, to the rural outskirts of, uh, you know, of the city uh, at the time. He calls them back into the country, which I think is amazing. This is, again, the genius of Jesus and flesh of saying, go back to where you came from. Don't go to the places of power or prestige, go back to where he came from. And so they're out in, uh, in Galilee and they're on a hillside. And scholars would say Jesus ends his ministry and Matthew's gospel ends the way that it begins. So at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we have this genealogy from Abraham through to Moses, through the Davidic line, uh, like the, the, the kings of Israel, all the way through to, to Jesus. And then Matthew's gospel states that Jesus, the Messiah, who came. Jesus, the Messiah who came in power with authority. And so the fact that we get a lineage, a genealogy is showing like, This is where he came from. This is legit. And then Jesus ends the same way. He starts his like last speech, his last sermon teaching with not like, oh, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Instead, he says, all authority has been given to me. Now it's fascinating. Matthew's gospel is really leaning in on uh, this concept of like the new exodus. So it's a very Jewish gospel. It's repainting a picture of like an old way of doing things with with new meaning. And so as a reminder, the Exodus is this like redeeming, reconciling act of God through even, even through tumult and stress, pain, death, that God redeems, saves, restores, and cares for Israel, cares for God's people. And then Jesus is modeled as this new Moses, is the Messiah, the new Moses, the redeemer, reconciler, uh, God's 
messenger, God's, God's bodily presence on earth, and that all authority is given to him. All authority is given to him. So this is the new Moses, God made flesh, this new way, new hope, new life, that life, hope is growing. And that the first step is repentance, uh, is to turn away from the old way and turn towards the new way because we have a Messiah who is here, present, shows us how to live, and that there's a new way of doing the whole thing, that God is not anywhere else. God is not mad. God is engaged. God is love. God is here. And God is intending that we do something with this love. And so these themes of like repentance, new hope, new life, the new heavens, the new earth, the fact that Jesus appears to the women as a gardener is that, is that like point back to Genesis, that Jesus is the new Genesis. Jesus is the beginning and the end. Everything rises and falls on the person, the teaching, the ethic, the love of God made perfect exemplified in Christ. So how's that for an intro in Matthew's gospel? It's, it's amazing, and this is woven throughout. But then to the end, like I said, it, uh, I want to stop on that first, that first principle that you see there in your notes, doubt. So they're called back out of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus has been resurrected. They're gathered on this like mountain hillside. They see Jesus. This, the, the text says they see Jesus. They saw him, and they worshiped him. But, one of the big buts of the Bible, but some doubted. Now, the word doubt there is not just like, a, it's not necessarily just like they did not believe, they, they negated their faith and moved towards atheism. It's actually, they stumbled. That's the, the word picture that we're, that we're given. It's like seeing Jesus on the mountain, it's like, a, uh, what? What is, how, what is happening here? Now, for some of us, uh, that can be like a really like, oh, why would they doubt? I mean, they've seen the risen Christ. But for others of us, myself included, I find myself um, seen in that picture. Maybe you do too. Of like even um, our own propensity to be cynical and skeptical, which I think in some ways can be healthy. But they worshiped him. They saw the risen Christ. And then still some were kind of like suspicious hippopotamus. Like, mm, how is, like, did he die? How did, how did this how did this work? But nonetheless, Jesus doesn't address their doubts with saying, okay, well, actually, like, here's how it worked. Instead, Jesus leans in and says, all authority, all of it has been given to me. Now go. All authority has been given to me. And Jesus is referring back to uh, Daniel chapter 7, where it very explicitly says, like, the Son of Man came. All authority rests is given to him, and he is seated at the right hand and the left hand of God the Father in the heavenly realm. And so make no mistake that when Jesus enters, like, the, uses that phraseology, he is saying something huge to disciples, to followers that are doubting. And then the next thing he says is to go, is to leave Jerusalem. Let's stop right there. Jesus is saying explicitly, leave this church context. Leave this church context, the dwelling place of God. God no longer just inhabits like these physical temples or synagogues. God inhabits you. Remember back in the upper room, Jesus has breathed his spirit on them that like you are the living temples. God dwells and lives in you. So go and tell people about it. Leave Jerusalem. The hope of Jesus is not static. Our hope together is not sedentary, is not laying on a couch. Um, now, as a Jew at the time, staying with that theme of like, go, 
this would have been bonkers for them to hear. In Jewish religious custom at the time, you didn't go and like make converts. In fact, the Sadducees were guilty of that. Jesus um, rebukes them earlier on in Matthew's gospel, saying like, you Sadducees, you cross land and sea to make converts, but you make them twice the sons of hell that you are. Repent, repent, repent. Uh, so Jesus is... is um, giving a counterexample is like uh, subverting religious empire at the time and saying no longer is it about like come in and convert, but go and create. No longer is it about like inviting people into a closed door religious ceremony, but now it's about going out into the rural districts everywhere, everywhere, going and inviting and making disciples. And now the call of a disciple was a really uh, elite thing at the time to be called by a rabbi to be a, tal- a Talmud, uh, Talmud was no small deal. It was a very big deal. And so think about how Jesus is breaking these like religious uh, ropes that have been tied around people. He's saying, no, you guys go and do it. You're the rabbis. You're the teachers now. Invite everybody that you come across. Think about that. Invite everybody that you come across. This is very different than what their religious framework had been of having people come inside of the system as opposed to like, everybody's in, everybody's in. Go outside, get out of the church, go and do it. Go and make disciples. So number one, they they doubt. Number two, they're called to go. Jesus has all authority in him, they're called to go. And then number three, make. Now again, all authority has been given to Jesus. Matthew, uh, Daniel chapter seven. The, the common understanding of like making disciples, um, especially when the Messiah arrived, was that um, it was only for the Jews. It was not for the Gentiles. It was not for the Goyim. It was not for any of the Greeks or anybody else in any different custom. The Messiah would only be arriving, would only be there to care for the lost people, the 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 Israel, Israel who had lost her former glory. And so now to hear that they would continue the, the tradition of this rabbi, this Messiah, this new way of, of the kingdom to anyone other than their own religious context would have been so unnerving and so outside anything they would have ever heard in the history of their own religion, period. So Jesus says, he appears to them, he, he engages their doubts, he reminds them that all authority has been given to them. He says to go, to leave the, the holy cities, the place where you think God dwells, and be reminded that God dwells everywhere now, even in you, that God dwells everywhere, even in you. And then to make, go and make disciples, go and make them that you now have this like uh, subversive, flipped upside down leadership power. How to lead is to, to serve, to care for people, to make disciples, to invite them into this new way of being, this new way of understanding that God is involved, is caring for. God loves the planet and everybody in it. Go and tell people, make disciples, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, baptizing them, which, which was, was a symbol of repentance. It was a symbol of repentance. It wasn't just like an arbitrary religious ritual that was like, well, this is kind of one of the things that you have to do to get in, which is maybe where even these days, like we have slipped a little bit. Baptism was a symbol of death to an old way and being raised into new life into a new way. It was an outward and is an outward expression of an inward decision, an inward journey, and an inward faith. And so Jesus instructs them to go and do that. Get out of the city, make disciples, teach them, baptize them, baptize them, 
help them to learn, teaching them to what? Obey. Not just teaching them to think or philosophize or sit around and talk about it, but teaching them to do it, to learn. Now, the, the hallmark of these first number of years for the disciples as they journeyed with Jesus, but also as the acts of the apostles got out, as we saw what they did was constant listening and learning. Constant listening and learning. It's no mistake that they, you know, at first when they're scared about Jesus' death, they, they hold themselves up and they hide. And thank God for the witness of the women that's like, men, get out of your like hiding spots. We need to go and do something. And then on the journey, they're listening like, what did, let's, how did, how did he say that? Let's remember, let's step, let's tell the story again. This was an oral tradition at the time. So that they weren't like writing things on iPhones or on their computers. They're, they're telling and retelling, telling and retelling, telling and retelling. It's beautiful history of this oral tradition of like, what did Jesus teach? We memorize it so that we can rehearse it, so that we can replay it to people who need to hear about the love of God. So doubt, go, make, learn, and then love. You know, the things that they sorted out on this journey of learning together was listening, was healing. Primary thing out the gate was healing. We need to repent of and be healed of the sense of religious religiosity, entitlement, a non-caring for the poor that we've been a part of and be a hospital for those that, that, are, that are broken, uh, to be helping together. And how do, why do we do that? Like, what is the ethic that underlies that? Well, it's love. Now, again, for us today, we might hear like, yeah, okay, like that's a bit of a Hallmark card. Love, love it. Yes, sure. But love had like different uh, emphasis, emphases at the time. And so what Jesus is talking about here is this brotherly, self-sacrificial love. It's a very distinctive picture of like what the love of God looks like. The love of God reaches out like family. The love of God reaches out like family. It does not lord over, but it cares for. It's like a big family hug. It helps, it heals, it connects. And this is what they're meant to obey. Jesus was asked a number of times, and Paul refers to it in a couple of his letters too, okay, but like there seems to be a, little, a lot of religious laws as, as was part of our custom. We got to boil it down. Like we're going to be talking to Gentiles. We're going to be talking to Greeks. We're going to be talking to people who are in the far reaches of the known world of the time. This is our calling. How do we explain love? And like I said, Jesus was asked this and he boils it down. What does it mean to be a religious person? Well, love God. Love God, pursue God, know that there is a creator, a loving force that has breathed everything, including you into existence, and that you, are you bear his divine image, that you are deeply loved as his kid, and that you should view the whole of humanity and the planet the same way, that love is born in and moves out. You have an identity, don't forget it. So love God, know that you're created by God and that you have like that stamp on your heart. And then love who? Just the Jews, just the Christians. No, love your neighbors. Love your enemies. Like love is action moving out. And so this is the obey part. When asked what was the most important thing about everything that Jesus taught, he said it was those two things, love God, love your neighbor. Like you, you, people will know that there's some chutzpah, that there's something to this by how they see you live out your love. Not just how they hear you talk about it, but how they see you live out that love. That, you know, this type of love isn't just ethereal, philosophical. It's not just something to be talked about in like religious hallways, but it's real. It's self-sacrificing. One that sees someone else with intrinsic value, purpose, and one that is fiercely, fiercely oriented towards inclusive 
community, inviting people in, uh, not shutting people out, which is what, like, baptism was one of those symbols of. It was like the signal of, like, we're together. It wasn't a signal of, like, oh, you're one of us. You made it past this religious checklist. Instead, it was like, this is the widening waters of the love of God that conquers death, purifies people, and brings us into the fold, brings us into family together. It signals confession, confession, expression, and action. Do you see how wide, how deep, how all-encompassing the love of God is, my friends, and what these first disciples would have been listening to, leaning into, uh, and learning together? It's fascinating. It's beautiful. It still has so much to say to us today. So that's drinking from the fire hose, right? Matthew's gospel ends the way that it begins with Jesus on the throne, quote unquote, with Jesus, the person, the authority in charge, the image of God in physical form on planet earth, that all authority, all authority is given to him, is given to him. And so go, make, learn, and love. Go, make, learn, and love. So like I said, when we started here, so what? <laughs> like, what, what does this mean for us today? What, what, what do we do with it? I'd like to encourage us with just those same points. The first one uh, being a doubt. Imagine if, as a community of faith at the Meeting House in 2022, even today, if when we heard doubt, we, instead of being like, uh, doubt leans away and, and uh, you know, is suspicious and cynical, that doubt is an honest wrestling. It's actually the name for the Israelites is, is ones who wrestle, who, who um, navigate Jacob, Israel. Like this is, this is the hallmark of our faith. It's a wrestling with and towards. So imagine in our community, if we embraced doubt as spiritual curiosity, if as Christ followers, we brought all of that to the table, that, that our minds would translate by the spirit of God, that doubt is a beautiful thing that leads to spiritual curiosity. And so brothers and sisters, when we read or hear doubt, may we also hear like what our vision is as a church, that we exist to introduce spiritually curious people to the Jesus-centered life through, through a movement of Jesus-centered churches. Sound familiar? This is the great commission, that there's room at the table for even those of us who struggle and for those of us who are like, you know, the stalwarts of faith. We're in this together. Let's be spiritually curious together and invite spiritually curious brothers and sisters into the journey, not the arrival, but the journey together. So when you hear doubt, May we also hear spiritual curiosity. When we hear go, again, that can be a hang up for lots of us. When we think about like telling the story of the gospel of Jesus, when we hear the word evangelism, that can feel really heavy laden of like, I'm not that guy, I'm not that person, I'm not that woman on a, on a you know, a, a soapbox with like a bullhorn or a placard, you know, trying to convince people outside of a concert or something. That's such a terrible vision of evangelism. Again, the first followers of Jesus and throughout many Reformation traditions throughout Christian history, the, the people that look most like Jesus are storytellers, are, are captivating, innovative, creative storytellers that retell the Jesus story. It's not fire and brimstone. It's, it's life, renewal, repentance, and recreation that's happening through the love of God made perfect in Jesus. And that's the gospel. That's the story that we are telling that God ain't mad at you. God loves you, loves us, loves me, and is intending to paint a different story for planet Earth. And so when we hear the word go or evangelism, may we be uh, invited into, inspired by, and in, in, captured by the retelling, the, the remembering of, the retelling of the Jesus 
story, that us being storytellers is a, is a fantastic thing, not a, um, you know, a, an anxiety-laden thing. When we hear the word make, you know, go and make disciples, this isn't like I said about like a Sadducean um, conversion process that we're just trying to tick off cars of people who have converted so that it's just like, you know, people in seats on Sunday morning or whenever we're, we're meeting. Instead, we're, we're inviting the creative process that God began in creation, that as we reflect God's divine image, we too are creators or creators. And we're caregivers via discipleship, which is like learning to be like and emulate Jesus in the way that we've been gifted to by God's spirit to do. Uh, I love this saying, we need far less pastors and far more artists and bus drivers. We need far less pastors and popes in the world and far more Jesus-oriented, Jesus-centered artists and bus drivers and musicians and mechanics Imagine if the storytelling, if, if the making of the active process of creation, of discipleship, of knowing our story, of, of recreating the world with love was the hallmark of our, of our evangelism and our discipleship, that every ounce of our walking around life, whether at home or work or play, is, is the, the field that God is continuing to plant. That when you have that conversation with your coworker and you could choose to brush them off or be cynical, instead, by the Spirit of God, we choose to be other-centered, uh, listening, loving, and helping them to have a dignified human experience because they too are created in the image of God. So being reminded that we are makers and creators, we bear the divine image of the creator, and by our spiritual gifting, we can create in and through discipleship, we can capture what happened in Genesis and what is still happening today with Jesus as our Genesis. And then learning, Learning, you know, we value learning over just an, um, you know, this paradigm of leadership. It seems like in our world, we're almost like leadership addicted. There's conferences uh, and books you can read about about leadership, and Jesus never said, never spoke, never taught once, not once about leadership. Isn't that fascinating? Not one time did Jesus ever talk about leadership. Instead, he talked about discipleship, about learning to to lead through serving, about being other-centered, about caring for the most marginalized people in the world, about prioritizing a constant journey of learning, that that's the posture of leadership that we need to engage, engaging the discipline of learning, listening, spiritual practice, reading scripture in community, that together we don't just like wait for somebody to go up onto a stage and teach or even to teach into a camera, but we take uh, one aspect of what we've learned, maybe through this medium, but we then we go back into community and listen with other brothers and sisters, like what are we learning? How are we processing? How are we seeing the spirit of God at work in our own context? And how can we be part of the journey together. So being fierce advocates of continued learning on the journey through spiritual practice, through engaging uh, the discipline of, of, uh, of listening, and, and certainly through reading and understanding scripture, the message of Christ together. And then finally, uh, when we hear, you know, the notion of um, love, that love does something. And let's slow down right here. Jesus was and continues to be fiercely inclusive and community-oriented. 
This is the, de the defining value of who we are and who we have to be moving into the future as the, the body of Christ, fiercely inclusive and community-oriented. I love how Paul puts it, that if we don't have love, the Apostle Paul writing to a church that was in turmoil, if we don't have love, what do we have? Nothing. He doesn't rest on, well, we have like these religious services that we can go to and then maybe go out for lunch after. Instead, he says, if we don't have love, we have nothing. It's all noise. It's a, it's a ringing gong. Wah, 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 that people are like, what are you even saying? What are you even saying? So just going back over the, those things, when we hear doubt, may we also hear spiritual curiosity. When we hear go or evangelism, may we also be reminded of the beauty of storytelling, that this is our story to tell, and it's a great one. When we hear the word like making uh, or, or you know, making disciples, may we hear being creators, being invited into the creative process and being caregivers. When, when we hear the word teaching or learning, may we you know, push back against just the, the power structure of leadership and be learners together on the journey together. And then when we hear the word love, maybe we'd be reminded that the, uh, love is active. It does something. It's fiercely inclusive and community-oriented. We're meant to do this together. These are the hallmarks. The, this is the, the direction of the last thing that Jesus um, said to this young community. I want to leave you with one story, and then I hope you'll have many other stories to share this coming week. My first church, um, our, our ministry life, like the people who were bums in seats was growing and growing and growing. Uh, and we had like a r really, I think, excellent teaching ministry. Discipleship, we were getting there. Compassion, mm, not so good. Caregiving for like the elderly and the marginalized and the poor. It was, on, it was on the radar, but we weren't doing really great. But our teaching ministry, our teaching stuff, the way that we talked to people about following Jesus Really, really good. And so we had lots of people coming out week over week. And I remember this one dude, Dave, who started showing up. Um, you know, he was a university student and was skeptical, uh, skeptical about everything. Would have said, I am an atheist. I grew up Catholic. I am an atheist. I don't believe this stuff. Uh, and then he would always engage really thoughtfully, actually, in like the teaching sermon time. And then we had like small group, um, you know, kind of debriefing what we'd learned. And he always had these fantastic questions. And then, you know, Near, um, fast forwarding a few years later, he, he came to me and he's like, Jimmy, I just have learned and experienced so much of the love of God here. And again, in my mind, I'm like, because of the teaching, because of what you like heard at church, uh, I want to get baptized. He said, I'm like, oh my goodness, I love it. Like this is what I was, I, I just, I love my job. I love what I'm being called by God to do. I'm like, yeah, let's set it up. Let's do it. So we're, you know, a few months later, we're in the baptismal tank. And he said that he'd made lots of wonderful friends who had journeyed alongside. Um, and then in his baptism speech, so in our, our baptism practice at the time, you know, you gave like a word or a testimony or like, why are you here? How has this journey happened for you? And then we would, uh, you know, dunk the person. And I wrote down what he said uh, near the end of his testimony. He kind of talked a little bit about what I've shared with you about his journey through doubt and cynicism and atheism and now faith and the potential that, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that Jesus is reconciling the world. Uh, and standing right beside his pastor, he said this, you know, in my journey of faith, I heard it and I read it about Jesus, he's saying. I heard it and I read it in church, but I learned it and saw it in my friend Kristen. 
Now, in part, that was a little bit of a rebuke for me because my framework for like what it means to be a follower of Jesus embedded in a community called the church was like, well, we were taught stuff. We listen and learn, and then we read and listen and learn and read and listen and learn, and hopefully like it translates into daily life. But it was fascinating and also deeply encouraging for him to say, I heard this stuff and I read it in church, but I learned it and I saw it, that hope, that 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 love is active in this person, his friend, Kristen, who had journeyed with him and, and still does. And so imagine if uh, that was our story today, right now, this week, this month, this year, that while it, there's a place for learning and, and you know, uh, reading through and understanding scripture better, it's all just noise if it's not embedded in like practical outworking of love in our communities. Imagine if we heard less stories about like, oh, I understand that Bible verse a little bit better now, but instead heard and were involved in stories of the journey of faith with people who are far from God and are now just enveloped by the love of God. That while we might, you know, hear it and read it in church, we learn it and see it in action in each other. That we learn it and see it in action in each other. So Jesus takes his first disciples, these young people who have seen him in action and says, all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me in heaven uh, and earth. And so now go and make disciples. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. And know that I am with you always till the end of the age, forever. I am always with you. With you. And so, brothers and sisters, may we be people who are engaging in this journey of faith, knowing that all authority is, uh, is invested in the person of Jesus, and his action for us is moving out in love, in, in, in caring for, in telling a story of God, recreating the world through love. With Jesus as our genesis, as our, our beginning, the new Moses, the divine here on planet Earth, showing what it means to be human and what it means to be a human that is deeply loved by God. And so I want to close with the benediction of Paul, who understood this deeply as he's teaching to the Ephesian church. He's writing to the Ephesian church who, who were being pulled in a bunch of different directions of their understanding of God. And he wraps up his letter by saying, uh, near the end of his letter by saying this. And he says this to us today. Now to him, Jesus, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power, Jesus, that is at work within us, to him, Jesus, be glory in the church and in Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Brothers and sisters, together we say, amen, amen, yes, may it be so. May that be who we are. Amen. Grace and peace.